2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The B of A bombshell, the firm's star strategist now cutting her target for stocks. To the lowest level on the street. That is bank earnings miss, oil plunges, Cisco gets the analyst axe. We'll debate all of that, what it means to your money with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown with me here on set, Jenny Harrington, and Jim Labenthal. It's good to have everybody here. Check the markets as we always do. Carl said it, we're off the lows. Maybe on those Waller comments. It was an ugly picture earlier. It's still kind of ugly, obviously. Dow's down 1%. That's a loss of 304. S&P is off by 32. NASDAQ down two-thirds of a percent, down 71. Ten-year note yield. The 10-year yield is below 3%. It's at 297. So you got a bunch of price target cuts today. The euro drops below part of the dollar. Oil barely above 90, below its 200-day moving average. Ten years at 297, 298, as we said. But then there's the biggie, and that's Savita uh, over at Bank of America, cutting the price target, 3,600 from 45, looking for an overall 25 percent decline, cuts earnings forecast, now looks for a mild recession starting in the second half of this year. Josh, too negative or not?
0: Well, I mean, she she basically is now mirroring reality um, because she cut to about 3 percent higher than where we are or uh, 3 percent lower. Her, her new target than where we are now. So this is really just playing catch up to what the market has thrown at us this year. All of the things that we were worried about in March are worse uh, in June and July. And I don't think she'll be the last of the strategists to, to uh, normalize. I will call it normalize. Like it's, it's unlikely that the most, uh, uh, ebulent forecasts are going to come true unless something major changes. But as we get further and further into the year, and the trends that have been hurting the market continue, it's like harder to keep those those price targets up. So uh, the technicians got here first. Like no offense to anybody, the technicians beat the uh, the strategists. Uh, the NAS, if you recall, watching the show, some of my comments. Technically, the Nasdaq 100. Um, broke below the uptrend, and finished the uptrend effectively at the end of February. And then at the end of April, the mm-hmm. S&P 500 followed suit. And so you got there way quicker, just purely on looking at buying and selling than you did with the commentary. Right. Now the commentary is catching up. Well, I mean, it's not just Savita either who, who's negative. I mean, Leisman does his All-America
2: Economic Survey, most bearish ever huh, for stocks. Just 27% of the public believe now is a good time to invest in stocks. That's the lowest lowest percentage in
0: the history. Well, of the Well, the public doesn't know. They don't know anything. The, pub, the public is the public is uh, like a like a, like a mood ring. So yeah, when well, they've I mean, just all, seen their 401k but, fall but 20%, there's no, there's that's no, when they I, get, I get the most it, but bearish. There's no difference. Don't go I mean, by that. Yeah, well, you could say the same thing about a Sevita of You know, capitulating now. Um, no, that's kind of. A, She's a, a quant. No, no, no. Doesn't matter. I, could, I can't say the same thing, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. The people answering Leasman's survey um, are are answering out of emotion. What Bank of America is doing is they're taking inputs from five different categories of data and they're, they're trying to come up with a forecast that's based on something quantitative. I'm not suggesting they're any better at it than anyone else. I'm just making the point. Uh, Savita doesn't feel one way or the other about this emotionally. OK, so there is a really big difference. Um, and I think the public being as negative as it is uh, this early in the game, before we've even seen material earnings uh, uh, numbers come down before we have the official R word uh, being talked about yeah, by right, the, the NBER, not as dumb as you that's think. really interesting to me. Yeah, well, the public's not as well, dumb no, as I you Well, no, I don't think you're dumb at all. Well, you said I just they don't think know They anything. get they arrive at that place. Well, they don't, but they arrive at that place. They arrive at that place based on how they feel, and how they feel is dictated by whatever the market did in the last week. That's how sentiment works. It's okay. I I feel the same way. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just making the point, now you're starting to see quants, and you're starting to see economists and chief strategists just come to reality with what stock prices and bond prices have been screaming at them for the last 90 days, 180 days.
3: I'm going to pick out a gem in what uh, Josh just said. It's okay. it's how it's how consumers feel. They feel lousy. I can't use the actual word for how they feel on air. Uh, and the reason is, is because of food and energy. I mean, that's that's really what this is. All right. And gasoline futures are down 30 percent in one month, one month and those have not yet fully shown up at the, at the pump, they will. Wheat and corn futures are back to where they w- were at the beginning of the year. Those have not shown up in the grocery stores, but they will, and that will help consumer sentiment. Um, Josh is very right on this, and he's very right that it's a contraindicator, where anybody talking back to me would say something is, yeah, but these have been terrible sentiment surveys all year, and it hasn't turned the market around. That's absolutely true. I submit to you that it's gas and food prices coming down. That, that's going right. so,
2: to matter. To As some try and make the case that inflation really is coming down and nobody's paying attention because of the blaring in the lights, CPI and PPI month after month, which are backward looking. Aluminum down 39 percent from its year to date high. Chicken wings down 38, wheat down 37, lumber down 36, cotton down 35, oats down 32, nat gas 28 and oil 22 so, are we not paying it's attention? And, yeah, I know. I know rents a problem, obviously. Um, I'm not suggesting it's a the, the whole inflation picture is rosy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just simply telling you some of the underlying metrics don't reflect what the CPI and other metrics are telling you about the current, current state so, of inflation. So, Scott,
4: go ahead. Let Let me respond to that. Uh, two points. First of all, you know saying what Josh said and just compressing it a little bit I agree with him is that there are two ways to look at this market you can look at it as the way you want things to be and have this rosy bullish picture or you can look at it as the way things are Jim just fell now, he like Jim this just one, Jim well, just slumped the, back right, in his chair he literally l- just slumped he, back in his chair he he could, he could, as could you said slump that. all he wants look the only right, reason right, i said that so is because so same thing. so he could slump Jim Jim i'm talking say something different well we're actually not we're not. No, we're saying the so, same thing we've so, said all year. And in, my, in my view, Jim, in my view, this is one of the easiest marks to analyze that we've seen since I've been in the business. 08 oh, was another one. You knew when the when the financial system was crashing and was also tightening financial conditions, there was only one outcome. That's the same thing here. So going to your point with commodities down by 30%, all right. Take inflation down by 30%, 35%. Where are you at? You're still at two and a half times to three times where the Fed wants it to be. Right. So, directionally, it may be okay, and directionally, it may lead to a rally. But I want to emphasize, I've emphasized every show, the Fed is just starting. Right. We haven't even felt the impact of it, and we're seeing it in earnings now. And I still think that Savita is too high. Technically, it's thirty-four hundred. So look, so it's great she made it. Oh. I do think she's some emotionally, somewhat emotionally involved because she has to be. It's a tough, tough call for an analysts to take their numbers down by that larger degree. She says, and we're going to get there. She, she, she
2: doesn't necessarily say thirty-six is like where we could go first. She, she thinks right. you could go three thousand to thirty-two hundred before the year end, and, and maybe this is just the tip of the iceberg on the earnings expectations coming down. But everybody's so negative, Jenny, because of what the Fed is keeps telling you they're, they're going to do. The, the only ones who aren't as negative are convincing themselves that the Fed isn't going to be as aggressive as somehow the market first thought. They got the Bostic bombshell yesterday of everything, quote unquote, is in play. And that got the market really thinking at 100 basis points, OK, do we really need to get our arms around that? The market got there quickly. Waller today is making these comments now, said the market's ahead of themselves. Those are his words. You don't want to do you don't want to overdo the rate hikes. So where are we okay. now?
5: So where we are is you said everyone who's not negative is convincing themselves that they're not because well, of a the big Fed.
2: Part of the big part but, of the bullish case okay, since later in the negative. year it's going to be good because the Fed's going to pivot.
5: Right. I'm not negative. I'm not, and again, I've been talking a lot about magnitudes of bullishness, right? So when I say I'm bullish, I don't think we're gonna be up 30%, but you know what? I don't think it's that bad. I think probably the worst is either behind us or close to behind us. Maybe we do get down to like the lows from June again, but here's where I think we are. One, feelings are bad. So when you're talking about people are feeling bad, people are investing with emotion, you know what you do? You strip the emotion out and you look at the numbers. Two, Steve Leesman's down 20, or sorry, only 27% of people think that the market's a good time to invest. You channel your inner Warren Buffett, and what do you do? You be fearful when others are greedy, and you be greedy when others are fearful. So I hear that number, and I think, oh, this is fantastic. If that many people don't want to buy, maybe now's the time. I've got two more points on this. With respect to Savita, when I was a wee baby intern back in 1996, I worked on an amazing project where we took the top 120 strategists and technicians, went back 20 years, took all of their commentary. Here's where I think the Dow is going to be, here's where I think the S&P is going to be. And we tracked it in PowerPoint, which I didn't even know how to use back then. We tracked it versus graphs of of the market. And you know what? They're all wrong all the time. Some of them are directionally right, some of them, like Elaine Garzarelli in 1987, hit a home run because they get the timing right. But for the most part, they're not right. They're really smart. They're doing the right stuff. So what do I do with all that noise as a portfolio manager? I get down to the bottom and I say, hey, what's buyable now? What's in my portfolio? What does my portfolio look like? How does my portfolio differ from this market where we've got massive fear and massive froth and the bear market that we're in is affecting things differently? We know that, that, that it's affecting the frothy stuff in a really negative way, but do I own what's okay? And the answer to that is yes. What I own is, 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 Good, and I'd suspect that the vast majority of you watching own really solid companies that are going to be just fine.
2: I think the vast majority of the people watching have probably lost a lot of money in the market, like almost everybody else. And
5: you know what? They probably made a ton before that because don't forget the market was up 16. percent. But that doesn't make it feel years. any
2: better when the market's going down. Forget 20%, about feelings.
5: So. Take a step back. This is a long road. Who possibly really thought the market could continue up every year? And you look and you're like, you know what, guys. Bear markets are a normal part. Like that's just reality. And if you have any version of long-term focus, you grit your teeth and you get through this because we all have seen those charts that show if you miss the best ten days or you miss the best twenty days, you might as well have not been invested. So you have to be there. But you guys One,
2: keep you guys keep making the cases like you're you're ignoring you don't the have fact to that there. hang on Weiss that are that we getting the, into earnings that the the Fed's going to hike a lot. Good, right? Good, get it done a with. lot. Yep. Yeah, get and, it over. And with. we may very well. Have a recession. The ones that you guys somehow don't think so. But here's
3: why. I want to get earnings,
5: though. Go ahead,
3: please. All right. But here's here's why. This, so far, we've been talking about a recession coming for months. And right with the first quarter GDP being negative, people have said consumers feel they're in a, in a recession. You know what? I've never seen a recession where the job market is as strong as this. I've never seen. Let me continue. I've never didn't seen even, a recession. You had, you, had, up. Go ahead. Okay, you had that look. <laughs> you, I've never seen a recession where the leading bank CEO gets on the call, as he did today, and says his words. Never seen corporate balance sheets in better shape. Consumers in great shapes. When asked, are there any cracks forming? This is from the CFO. Short answer: No. I, yeah, I've just, I've just never seen the start of a recession that looks like this. Now, where? But, I mean, Jamie Dimon himself said you always ignore
2: the the half the story. He he said himself there are a range of potential outcomes. Always. You paint the picture as though the executives at J P Morgan said the sky's so sunny. After no, just saying what, there's what, a what hurricane doing, coming.
3: Your, your point they is well made. suspended buybacks. Point, <laughs> what more do you need to know? Yeah, well, why don't you listen to the call, Steve? Why do you listen Jim? to the call? Did you listen to the call? Because the reason they're suspending the buybacks is to meet regulatory requirements. His words, Jamie Dimon, capricious and ridiculous, okay? And basically, Scott, to your point, look, Jamie Dimon is being cautious. That's exactly what you want for the leader of uh, arguably the best bank in the world. Cautious? The guy was talking about a hurricane. They're, they're okay. building not up. Today, their, not today building, he they're, was they're, but He didn't but, use that word. But
2: his actions are matching his words. They're building up reserves. He's okay. talking about a range of potential outcomes. See, he obviously is concerned about the environment. More so than you seem to be letting on.
3: Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to do. You're doing a very good job of painting the negatives. I'm not painting going up. the I'm, negatives. I'm counterbalancing. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm reality land. Uh, you're not because you're ignoring what I'm saying, which is factually what he said. Now, you're saying I'm ignoring this half. I'm saying you're ignoring this half. Put it together. We're okay. Can I put one more okay? The stock market's down 22%. Let's let's take a deep breath. Go quickly, Jenny, then Weiss.
5: So, Scott, last week we were talking about earnings and how they might hold up, and I thought I gave you a sloppy answer, so I went back and looked at it. And so when we think about if S&P earnings are sustainable, here's the top 10 contributors to S&P earnings. The obvious, Apple, Google, Microsoft. Then comes Pfizer, Exxon, Chevron, J.P. Morgan, Facebook, Berkshire and Johnson & Johnson. So even when we think about earnings collapsing, think about the top 10 contributors. The vast majority of those companies, including Apple, they're not looking at earnings collapses, even if we enter a recession. And even as we talk about recession, we need to remember recessions affect different things differently. It's all about the magnitude, the severity. We could have a recession and things could be fine.
2: Right. Weiss, though, this is probably just the beginning, though, right, of Bank B of A, Merrill. They come out, they cut earnings. Everybody's been saying it's, it's only a matter of time before everybody does it. No one's suggesting you're going to have negative earnings like an earnings recession, but they're looking for low right. single digit earnings growth. growth. And maybe you think they're too optimistic, but this is likely just the tip of the iceberg.
4: Right. And, and first of all, Jim's point He's not talking about him needing to meet capital requirements today. He's talking about needing to meet capital requirements based upon the storm that he talked about just a few weeks ago. And that's why it's prudent to spend the buybacks. So let's get that out of the way. That, again, you just can't write revisionist history with everything you say, Jim. But let's look at it this way. okay? we have never been in this environment where the Fed has this massive balance sheet, where Europe has this massive balance sheet, and they've got to pare it back. We've never seen zero rates for so, so long. So you can talk about how you own the great stocks, but take a look at Cisco, historically a cheap stock, always cheap. You know what? It's down almost 40% year-to-date. Take a look at Intel. So there is no place to hide, and to think there is, and to say... Jenny, to your point that hold on, Jenny, the top 10 companies have contributed this to earnings. Great, But guess where the market is. Despite that, the market's lower. I don't think you can pick individual data points and say, "This is why I'm bullish, because that's what people are doing that are bullish and losing sight of the entire big picture, which is screaming at you. The economy is falling down.
0: Let me get Josh in. The Josh?
4: storm is here, not just coming.
0: Josh. So I think, I think it's really difficult to pinpoint the moment a recession starts, the moment it ends, how long the duration's gonna be. I really don't know anyone who's got like a long-term track record of doing that very well. Um, but I think you can lean on technicals now, and I've been hammering this point home all year, because there are things that we know absolutely for certain about how the market behaves in a downtrend. And when I say how the market behaves, What I'm doing is I'm anthropomorphizing a a situation where buyers and sellers are still human. They can be relied upon in different eras, the 1930s, 40s, 70s, 90s. We know how they act when they're making a lot of money or when they're losing a lot of money. Like People don't change right over over centuries so this is why it's apt right now to just focus on what is the primary trend i've been on the show all year judge with a lot of the people that i'm on with today and i've been on days where the market was dow dow up 600 points nasdaq up three percent you still think right? the trend is negative um, is lower because technically because, speaking but, we but here's why it's broken so, the downtrend so but, but here's why that matters mathematically it's lower like nothing anyone says can change that Um, Because not only are we in a statistical downtrend, the the slope itself, um, but we're below every moving average. And some of the most important stocks are further below their 200-day or 10-month moving average than they've been since the GFC. Okay, So that's what makes this different from all the V-shaped recoveries. And here's the one thing, if you learn nothing else from the show today, retain this. When the S&P 500 is below... It's 10-month moving average or 200-day moving average. Um, we've had 47 of the 50 best and worst days of all time. So volatility is now the new normal. Last year, the VIX was sitting on 11 or 12. We were poking it with a stick. Now it's averaging north of 20. That's double the volatility this year from last year. And so long as we, may- we remain below that moving average, mm-hmm. you can continue to expect Horrible days and amazing days, but we continue to carve out new lows even despite those great days. And if you don't understand that that's the battlefield right now, I really don't know what you're doing. So I want to look at what you're paying attention to. Before
2: we take a break, it was referenced by by Weiss, Cisco, which got a big downgrade today, uh, and it's weighing heavily on that stock. And it it feels like yet another reality check on the current state of, of tech. ServiceNow gave you one. relative to currency and and, and what's happening uh, in in Europe. Uh, Near-term enterprise demand is healthy, but the tone is changing fast. That's the downgrade to neutral at J.P. Morgan. Uh, Slowing economy will, in fact, hurt demand. Price target goes to 51 from 62. How do you want to deal with that one?
3: Yeah. Um, Let let me be super clear about this. My investing style is to buy high-quality companies that I know I can get through downturns like the one we're in, in the macro picture, no matter how long it takes. If if Josh, Steve are right, and we're in this for a while, I need to be in those quality companies that I know are not going to go out of business, that I know are not going to have financing problems, that are attractive valuations with good business models. Cisco squarely fits that, okay? I'm an investor for the long run. I mean, look, the analyst says, all right, enterprise spending is going to go down. Okay, if there's a recession, yes, the, the enterprise spending is going to go down. You
2: don't think it's going to go down regardless?
3: Why does it have to uh, be a binary
2: uh, thing of recession or not? I mean, the environment uh, is, is uncertain the, and unsettled. You can still have a drop in enterprise spending for on a the quarter. environment without a, quarter, a recession. For a
3: quarter or two. And you know my thesis, whether you agree with it or not, you know my thesis, that this decade is just getting started with supply chain onshoring and infrastructure mm-hmm. spending, and all of this is going to require tech, yeah, and Cisco's right in the like, heart of it. Intel
2: hasn't even broken ground on their chip. I'm not in yet, Intel. So you're, no, but, oh, but you're, you, okay. you make right, this fine. case repeatedly, and it literally is repeatedly. Because it keeps coming out. No, of this onshoring phenomenon that is going to have some dramatic impact on okay. the near term How are they of, financing of the that? Market. I mean, first of all, they haven't even broken ground yet on the facility that you are so bulled up about in, in Ohio. Others who have made announcements haven't even broken ground yet. So we're not meeting there this Saturday morning, as I thought we might be the other that's day. What, when we that's started.
3: what your tweet meant. I didn't know what your tweet meant.
2: That's what it meant. I was going to grab my egg and cheese. I said, <laughs> no, i going to meet you Saturday morning so we can go check it out. But the ground hasn't even been broken yet, so we can't meet. But part of your bullish case that you're making about the near term centers on this idea that we are going to wake up to an epiphany of this new world of onshoring, which is going to change the economic landscape in
3: the near term. Starting Can in I? the beginning of next year, which is not the that beginning far away. of next year. Yeah. Intel well, has a- broken ground on the
2: plant, yeah, but Ty- they're not going to Taiwan Taiwan until the fall has.
3: at the earliest. Taiwan Semi has on their plant in Arizona, Samsung has on their plant in Austin. It's not all just Intel.
5: Can I office, hey, I'll please. be bullish
3: by January. Go ahead. <laughs>
5: Let's leave onshoring off off for Cisco. What we know is that with the increasing cyber threats, every business needs to increase their security and their enterprise. And, I mean, even Gilman Hill, we're little. Even we have massive, huge technological challenges and are constantly needing to upgrade our, our, our systems. This is where Cisco benefits. This is where we think about, okay, maybe there's a recession. Recessions affect things differently. And I would argue that there's already down 34%. There's already unbelievable negativity in this share price. Also, if you look at this downgrade, it's downgraded, but it's got a $51 price target, which implies 25% upside from the current level. So you just need to go a little deeper and say, hey, maybe we're not even waiting for the onshoring. Maybe we just know that businesses need to spend, even if you're in a hell of an economy. And and that's where they benefit. All right,
2: Let's take that first break. Big bank earnings kicked off today, as you know. Disappointing results. Many financials now hitting new 52-week lows just today. We'll debate those next on The Half. We're back in just two minutes. We are back. Bank earnings. They kicked off this morning. Disappointing results from J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley. So we have new lows today, guys, for Citi, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Goldman and the aforementioned uh, Morgan Stanley. Weiss, you're short currently the XLF.
4: Yeah. And when we had discussion last week, you know, you said, well, why are you short? And I said, because I still have gains in Goldman and B of A, but I think the bank's going to miss. Again, it was obviously apparent, just watch the market, with the highest margin business being corporate issuance, being down to virtually zero. So I took out a position in shorting the XLF, which hedged my downside. So I'm basically neutral on the position, and it's working out. I'm going to stay short the XLF and stay hedged on it for, for a little while to come yet, because I just don't think it's going to get better, and we're not through bank earnings yet.
2: You have a good amount of exposure here, Jim. Uh, JPM, City Goldman? Yeah. Concerned?
3: Um, no. Okay. And I know I'm looking at you. I know you're going to say I'm only, <laughs> I'm only seeing the good of it. I promise you. Listen, Scott, I've been punched in the face every day this year. Okay. I, I've got the negative. I promise you, I've got the negative. I see it. All right. I just don't think the positives are being seen. All right. Loan growth demand picking up. Right. Seven percent year over. You look at it. You can't see it on the show. He's smiling. He's waiting for his comeback. Let me finish first. All right.
2: I'm just trying to think if there's like if there if there's anything out there that you feel negative about.
3: Dude, I've all. been punched in the face every day this year. I feel it. I got it. I don't wallow in it. All right. I look at what they're saying. I'm not net interest. Inco- hang on. Net interest oh. income for this year. Now, we're in a good mood. We're having fun. Okay? Well, it's
2: all good. Net interest Go
3: income for this year. They guide it up. From $53 billion to $56 billion. Why? why they, like, the business is good. Yeah. It's,
2: it's good now. Oh, God.
3: <laughs> okay. Yep.
2: The business is great. The business is great. Everything's great. The sky's blue. Sun's out. Stars will be out later. Stocks at a 52-week low. Stocks at 52-week low. A lot, a lot of off. stocks are at a 52-week low. I get, I, so what? It's double the loss of the market. It's down thirty-eight percent from its high.
3: Yeah, and what's its, what's its two-year and five-year? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Well, this is. Oh right. my so God, what's the right S&P back up for the last ten years? But this is. Where oh we my get God, back what, are you, what are you trying to make this out to be? Zoom? It's not. I didn't say it was
2: Zoom, what? but I mean, you just painted a picture that everything's great with the banks. I'm just telling you, the stocks
3: at fifty-two, is it a new low? You are factually correct. Okay, I'm taking your facts, I'm, I'm taking all the facts, I'm analyzing them, I'm drawing a conclusion. You disagree with
5: the conclusion, that's fine. But this is where you need to say, do I buy it here and now today? And okay, okay yeah, What's it's down answer? 40%. Well, for 107
2: Jim, for J.P. Morgan, $107.11.
5: For Jim, the answer is you buy it here and now today. And this goes back to some of the conversation about, like, do you, do you try to make it back in what you lost it in? Right. Do you only hold something because you think it's going to get back up there? I always tell people, no, start fresh today. And so you start fresh today, like erase the fact that it's down 40 percent. Start fresh today. Where might it go from here? What do you think about the economy? If Jim is not as negative as some of the rest of us are on a recession and he understands the balance sheets of these companies and understands the valuations, then maybe from this point today, you've got 15, 10, 20 percent upside. That's pretty good.
2: Let's ask Josh. He owns J.P. Morgan, too, since we're centering on that one.
0: Uh, Yeah, J.P. Morgan is planning in advance for what is pretty obvious uh, coming soon to a theater near you. Which was delinquencies in auto loans, credit cards, uh, foreclosures. Eventually, uh, probably a lot of debts going bad. So you know, but but the banks are not, uh, I think, susceptible. Like it's it's a systemic issue. They have a lot of capital. They are very well reserved for this. Um, They've been extremely conservative. They've been regulated like utilities for most of the last 12 years. Whether they liked it or not, it's actually now helping them a great deal. And what you saw J.P. Morgan do um, was basically get itself in alignment with where it needs its tier one uh, capital to be. And that's a formula. It's like it's not their choice. So they have to be at a certain place. Uh, over a certain period of time in terms of how much risk they're taking relative to how much equity uh, they have on the line. So uh, I don't know if it's like prophetic. I just think it's like this is what a large money center bank that is a SIFI, a systemically important financial institution, has no choice but to do. The good news is that process is happening. And I don't think you should look at the banks that are already down 33 percent and say, oh, no, there might be risk here. You've already paid the price for that if you've been a shareholder in all of these mm-hmm. names. The regionals are way worse, right? The, the silver lining, though, if you're making a new investment today in Citi, in J.P. Morgan, the silver lining is a lot of these nonsense fintech companies that have come along and stood themselves up by saying, look how cool our app is, they're in much worse trouble. They're going to have a huge uptick in the cost of funding. They have all this crypto stuff on their balance sheets. They have very inexperienced people for the most part who have not been through a financial crisis and they will stop making loans. And you can see that reflected Mm -hmm. in the average fintech share price publicly traded, just absolutely in wipeout, down 70%, 80%. And that's the ones that'll make it. So if you're making an investment in a large money center bank today, you can feel confident that they will keep lending through whatever is to come, and they'll keep lending afterward, and they're not going to lose. You know, they're they're not going to lose their business during the course of that lending because of new regulations that they now have to abide by. So, I think Jim's going to end up being right on these names, but from today's prices. But I also think it's going to take a while, and you could be in for s- some more pain before you get that that uh, benefit. From from taking yeah. a bite. So you have to if you're an investor, you have to live with that. Right. That's I mean, the look, reality. I think
2: Mike Mayo set the table well for us in overtime the other day. He suggested as bullish as he is on the long term picture of the banks. And I think Jim's making that case, too, although, you know, maybe he's a little more closer in positive. Dude, b- Mike b- than Mayo. Others. But hold on.
0: Mike Mayo. Mike Mayo is reverse green eggs and ham. Like, like Sam I am wouldn't like them in a box or with a... Fo- Mike Mayo will be bullish to banks pretty much through anything at any price. There's so <laughs> what I'm saying... Yeah, <laughs> I, really <laughs> I know what you were I saying. Come on. That was a good one. I know what you were saying. I love
2: uh, Mike. I but, know. I know. And okay. I, I, I wanna, was trying to go to break there, but thank you for wrapping that up for us. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Appreciate so, it. Uh, sorry. Taiwan Semi. I'll, I'll go now. There's Jimmy's sunshine and Rose's story. <laughs> They're higher after an earnings beat. They raised their guidance. What's it signaling for the beat-up semis? There's another negative note out today from a Wall Street bank. A lot of price targets cut, too. We'll give you the details next.
6: This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is.
2: Here's a good story to tell. Taiwan Semi is holding on to early gains today after posting a quarterly beat, boosting full-year revenue guidance as well. Meanwhile, I mentioned BMO. That's the Wall Street firm cutting estimates for the semi-industry for this year. And next, price targets going way down on a number of different stocks. Let's say NVIDIA. I'll mention a couple of the popular ones. NVIDIA, 250 from three. NXPI, Jim owns that to 160 from 190. Skyworks to 120 from 150. Jenny's Intel to 40 from 50. Uh, What do you want to do with this, Jim? Because you do have exposure in NXP and NVIDIA. Uh, Taiwan Semi had a good story, but there are concerns about spending. There are also concerns about what was double ordering, and now you have a glut of chips after a shortage.
3: Yeah, and I think that what you just said is what weighed down Micron about three weeks ago when they uh, announced earnings and guided down, and it was terrible and everybody really felt awful. Then last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, Samsung uh, guided positively. Uh, now you've got Taiwan Semi doing the same thing. This is a battleground sector as far as the health of the global economy goes. Um, so far, the scorecard is tilting ever so slightly in favor of the bulls. I think that's going to continue. It's not that I'm ignorant of what you're saying, Scott, about the double uh, ordering because of supply chain shortages. It's because there's large portions of the semiconductor world where these are still in high demand. Autos being the top of the list, but internet of things as well. I mean, whatever you're manufacturing if it's a complicated thing like an airplane, you're looking for more and more chips your supply chain has not yet unclogged. So overall, I think this tilts towards the bulls, but it is a battleground sector. Okay,
2: applied materials, you got Jenny, uh, Intel, Teradyne as well.
5: Yeah. So this is where we were talking about this last week. And I was saying, I think you can buy the semis. You can buy semi equipment testing, but you need to parse through the whole sector and see where the future growth makes sense, given the current valuation. The other thing I want to make a note on on this downgrade is he's downgraded it, but there's still like 10 plus percent upside on his new price target. So NVIDIA is trading at, what, 150 now? His new price target's 50 bucks. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. 250 bucks. Even for my little intel, (laughs) my beleaguered, terrible intel, it's still almost 10 percent upside that he's suggesting. Um, I think, you know, this goes back to, like, buy when there's fear. This is when you buy. You buy when things are down.
2: All right. Uh, Courtney Reagan. She has the headlines for us. Hey, Court.
8: Scott, here is our CNBC News update at this hour. A grand jury indicting South Carolina attorney Alex Murdoch on murder charges in the 2021 slayings of his wife and son. They were found shot to death at their rural estate and hunting lodge. Murdoch's attorney saying, quote, Alex wants his family, friends and everyone to know that he did not have anything to do with the murders of Maggie and Paul. He loved them more than anything in the world. Dr. Kevin Spacey pleading not guilty to charges of sexually assaulting three men. A judge in London told Spacey his criminal trial will begin in June 2023. It is expected to last for a few weeks. Spacey faces four charges of sexual assault and one count of causing a person to engage in sexual activity without consent. U.S. officials approving a request by American Airlines to resume flights to five destinations in Cuba that were stopped in 2019 when the Trump administration discontinued air service between the two countries. The Transportation Department decision will allow flights from Miami to several smaller airports in the country. The Halftime Report returns right after this.
2: Lots of red, as you see, still in the market today. Morgan Stanley, auto analyst, Adam Jonas. He cut his price target on many stocks in the sector today, including General Motors and Tesla. We make material cuts to our forecast across our coverage to reflect slowing growth and credit headwinds. That from Mr. Jonas today. Evercore cut the price targets on autos, too. GM goes to 50 from 65, Ford to 13 from 18, Tesla to 800, from Nine, Mary Barra, the GM CEO, on exclusively on Mad Money with Jim tonight. All right. Got all that out of the way. Now, you, General Motors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is this something to worry about well, or not?
3: I mean, it's like the same. Like everything else. It's the same theme that we're talking about. You know, what's going to happen to demand going forward, okay? And here's the thing. The average age of cars on the U.S. road is 12.2 years. That's a record high. These things don't last forever. They wear out. Uh, Two weeks ago, GM uh, reaffirmed its guidance for the full year. Reaffirmed it. Okay, so they're not seeing a a tail off, at least not yet. I get it. Things can change. But the fact of the matter is, if you're out and about, you see the roads are clogged. You see people are traveling, whether it's go to work on vacation. These cars are going to wear out. The demand is there to replace them. They just need to produce them for which they need chips. The one thing I will say on this Tesla thing, this is this is reminding me of 20 years ago when Southwest Airlines was worth all the combined market caps of all the airlines. You know how that turned out. And the same thing's going to happen with Tesla. Southwest Airlines still a fabulous company. Tesla is going to be a fabulous company. It's just not going to be worth ten times what the other auto manufacturers are.
2: So, the case, obviously, that Jim makes, Josh, is that, you know, these these companies are in good position. Demand is still strong. Uh, these are good stocks to own. I remember. Oh my god! Not that,
0: uh, oh god! We just had the biggest bubble the biggest bubble in shoving money at subprime auto auto borrowers and now it's blowing up 17% of those subprime auto loans are now delinquent and most of them originated in 2020 and 2021 when money is free and now you've got loan to values that are so out of whack meaning the cars worth uh, the 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 contract is worth more dead than alive you've got ltvs at 140% 80% is normal, 140. So now, you've gonna, now, now you're going to be in this situation. We were so worried about getting chips uh, for 12 months. But like everything else from the pandemic, the reversal is so much worse than the shortage. And so now you've got this glut of, of terrible deals that have been made for, for cars, for borrowers who have payments that are so far above what their real means are. No more PPP, no more stimulus. Um, no, you know, all of that's over with. Uh, and I just can't see why we think the comps are going to get better anytime this year. You want to see a good auto chart? Put this one up. Patty, don't let me down today. A Z O. You know what this is? Auto zone. This is auto zone. This is do it yourself. People buying auto parts so that they can keep the cars they already have running longer. That's the bull market. Not OES. There you go. Patty got your backs. Patty's Scott, got your back. This is, Scott, is right there on the screen. The job: three
5: hours is meaningful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got,
2: no, we... Scott, we, Scott this, this is... Go ahead, go quick,
4: quick. Go. I was going say, perfect storm for autos. Perfect storm for autos because they're going to build the inventory as demand is completely dissipating.
3: Yeah, real quick. For six quarters yeah. for six quarters you've had sales in the u.s running around 14 14 and a half million when demand has been around 17 17 and a half million you've made that up in the used car space that, those prices were way too high that's where the loans issues are going to be there are a lot of people out there who are still looking for new cars who are in good credit quality look at what JP Morgan said today about credit quality and look at what they said about auto loans as well flies in the face of what what you both just said.
0: Look at the cost of financing,
3: Jim.
2: It's the same as the housing market. That's a great response. Jim, you were on a (laughs) roll
4: with one one negative comment on Tesla. I
5: know how you feel. Let's take (laughs) a
2: quick break. Let's do it. Let's just take a break. That was the perfect way to end it. The crypto collapse, it continues, another bankruptcy in the space, the risks the cryptos are now facing. We'll do that next. Back on the half. Bitcoin is holding up today despite the sell off in stocks. Another major crypto firm, though, filing for bankruptcy. That's the third in two weeks. Kate Rooney looking at the fallout there and the continued risks for investors. Kate.
9: Scott, hey there. This time it's Celsius, the crypto lender filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy last night. It's the latest fallout in crypto markets as prices drop and the industry faces a liquidity crunch. It comes a month after Celsius originally froze customer accounts. It says it has 1.7 million customers and at the time blamed extreme market conditions. CEO Alex Mashinsky now saying in a statement, this is the right decision for our community and our company. According to the filing, Celsius has more than 100,000 creditors. That could include customers and some of those lending counterparties. Its largest claim, an $81 million unsecured loan from Cayman Islands-based Faroes Fund. There's also ties to billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried. His quant firm, Alameda Research, is listed as a creditor as well with a $12 million loan. Three Arrows Capital, once a $10 billion hedge fund, has really been at the center of this. It's also going through bankruptcy, defaulted on multiple loans. You see some of the companies there listed as well. Voyager, another bankruptcy. FTX and BlockFi also have exposure to Three Arrows Capital. The industry is now watching these bankruptcy proceedings really closely. For Three Arrows, it may reveal even more counterparties that we don't know about quite yet for Voyager and Celsius. Legal experts tell me It could be years until customers see their money. And the big question is, how will that customer crypto be seen by the court? Right now, it's looking like an unsecured loan, not quite deposits, meaning they might be entitled to nothing. Scott, back to you.
2: All right. Okay, Rooney, thank you very much. We have more on today's Market Drop coming up next on The Half. Stocks are down today. As you know, they are off their lows. The major averages were all down 2% earlier. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joins us. We'll get your last word with me in overtime later, but your midday word would be what, given this market today?
1: Uh, I would say testing. I mean, we're sitting here with the the indexes, sort of testing the lower end of this month-long range. It tells you what matters in the short term to the markets that you've got to lift when maybe there was a little bit of cold water thrown on the idea of a full percentage point rate hike by the Fed in a couple of weeks. Uh, I continue to think this market has a time orientation conflict with policymakers. The market wants to look through to the end of the Fed tightening cycle. The market's telling you it's done with the inflation panic. We're on to the growth scare and the Fed requires months of data before it itself can make that same kind of transition. In the meantime, financial conditions tighten. Look, it could prove that the market has gone a long distance to pricing in uh, some softness in earnings relative to expectations, but we don't know that or won't know it for weeks. So I think we're kind of stuck. And without sort of the easy exits, you can't say, well, at least credit markets are really strong because they're softening up. You can't say there's great consumer spending momentum, even though the Fed is going to be uh, a little bit tight, because that's sort of uh, in question as well. So I I think that's why we feel stuck. Um, Sentiment's great great in the sense that it's completely despondent, but that in itself doesn't doesn't necessarily get you where you want to go in terms of looking for a low being put in. To
2: your point, there's kind of no relief in sight for weeks. I mean, you can only expect earnings, which just literally kicked off, and the commentary around that to be somewhat dour. Uh, You got a Fed meeting in a a couple of weeks where you kind of know what's coming, you, you think, but you're not sure what comes next.
1: Well, the bull case is the um, better than feared dynamic for earnings, uh, at least more than, you know, more than not. Uh, and that the, the fact that valuations have been compressed has been mostly about earnings being at risk. And then maybe the storyline can start that says, uh, you know, three quarters of a percent hike in July. And then you have almost two months before there's a the next meeting and a lot can happen in that period. So it's really most more about wh- where the market's already gotten, not the news you're going to get yeah.
2: in the next couple of weeks. All right, I'll see you in OT. That's Mike Santoli. We'll do final trades next.
4: Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
2: I hope I'll see everybody in OT three hours from now, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Greg Branch, Stephanie Link, the Linksters there, Victoria Green. we got a lot to talk about given this market kickoff of earnings season. And a lot of other stuff, too. Final Trades.
0: Josh, you first. Uh, Danny Meyer just bought another 21,000 shares of Shake Shack yesterday. That's about $831,000 worth of stock. He already has $1.8 million. So you only buy in the open market for one reason. You think it's undervalued and it's going up. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for that. Jenny.
5: Well, clearly, if Josh is buying Shake Shack, he thinks that people are doing A-OK enough to buy expensive hamburgers. So I will follow his lead and give you Compass Diversified Trust, another consumer stock that owns things like Marucci Baseball Bats and Okay. Four and a half percent of it in yield.
4: Steve Weiss. I love that exchange.
5: That was great, Jenny.
4: Uh,
2: I think Jenny owns Weiss. I mean, owns Josh a Burger or something still anyway. You guys should go there. It's on
5: him. I have tried.
2: Guys should go there.
5: It's on him.
3: Weiss, quick. (laughs) Yeah, uh, short TLT. All right. Rates going Uh, high. Farmer Jim. Autos and semis come together in NXP semiconductors. All right, you guys, 2 p.m.,
2: Madison Square Park. Done. Shake Shack. Done. All right, I'll see you in the OT. The exchange is (laughs) down. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.